to you this passage from God's Word, Proverbs chapter 31, starting in verse 10. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good, not harm, all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it, but the fruit of her hand she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with, uh, with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates where he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. The word of God. Well, I'd like to uh, introduce the mother of my children, whom you may or may not know. So, Shirley, stand up for a moment. This is my lovely bride of 26 years. And uh, she's a great mom. She's a great mom. Well, it says, as Joe just read, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. And so today we are celebrating womanhood in general and motherhood in particular and godly motherhood in specific today. And here in Proverbs 31, the Bible paints for us the portrait of a godly, praiseworthy woman. And she is quite a lady, for sure. Now, um, I got to confess, I don't totally understand women, okay? My mom is a woman. My wife is a woman. My sisters are both women. I love them all, but I do not totally understand them all the time. I guess because it's I'm a guy and I just don't get it. Somebody recently sent me a list of the top 10 things that only women understand. Let me read them for you. Only women understand the meaning of your cat's facial expressions. <laughs> Only women understand the need to have the same style of shoes in five different colors. Only a woman can understand how a salad, a diet drink, and a hot fudge sundae can be considered a healthy lunch. <laughs> Only women can understand fat clothes. Only a woman can understand how you can take a car trip without trying to beat your best time. <laughs> Only women understand the difference, this is true, between beige, cream, ivory, off-white, and eggshell. They all look the same to me. 
Only a woman can understand how discovering a designer dress on the clearance rack can be considered the absolute highlight of your entire life. Only women can understand eyelash curlers. That's true. Only women can understand how every single bathroom scale in the world is wrong. And the number one thing that only women can understand, other women. And uh, I would agree with that. Some things only women get. And I think it's interesting to note that this description of the praiseworthy woman we find in Proverbs 31 was actually given by a woman. If you read back in verse 1, it says, the words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mom, his mother taught him. So apparently when little Lemmy was just a little shaver, his mom sat him down and taught him what kind of a woman to look for when he was all grown up and looking for a wife. It's interesting. In the original Hebrew, this is actually a kind of acronym. Each verse in Proverbs 31 starts with the next successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And it seems to have been designed that way so that it could be easily memorized for quick and easy recall when clear-headed wisdom might be needed one day. Well, this oracle, this saying from Lemuel's mother paints the picture of a godly and praiseworthy woman, the kind of woman you would want your son to marry, the kind of woman that you'd want your brother to marry, the kind of woman you would want as a wife or as a mom or as a daughter. Now, when you read through the book of Proverbs, you are introduced to several different kinds of women. One of the Portraits you'll see most often is the adulterous woman, the immoral woman who forsakes her covenant with her husband and goes preying on young men. It says her lips drip with honey and her talk is smooth and enticing and she seduces young men into sexual relationships with provocative clothing and flattering talk. Proverbs warns, keep your way far from her. Run. Run in the other direction when you come across that kind of a woman. There's also the noisy woman, the loud, boisterous, quarrelsome woman with whom no one wants to live. And it says a normal man would rather live on the corner of the rooftop than in a house with a quarrelsome woman like that. Cantankerous gal. Also mentioned are the foolish woman and the rebellious woman. But all of these women mentioned in Proverbs are really set in stark contrast to this woman, the virtuous, excellent woman of Proverbs 31. This lady is at the pinnacle of womanhood as God designed it. In every dimension, the excellence of this woman, this wife, this mother, is unfolded in this chapter, physically, mentally, intellectually, Relationally, spiritually, it's all here. Notice first the search for the praiseworthy woman. Verse 10, an excellent wife who can find. She is more, far more precious than jewels. The Amplified Version reads this way. A capable, intelligent, excellent, and virtuous woman, who is he who can find her? She is far more precious than jewels, and her value is above rubies or pearls. And I see several things here, just in this verse. This woman, first off, is excellent in every sense of the word. She's an excellent woman, and that's one word in Hebrew, the word ha'il, and it has various shades of meaning. It means noble character, 
good, capable, intelligent, excellent, virtuous. The basic idea of the word is strength, and it refers to her strength in her character and strength in her abilities. This woman is a strong, virtuous, industrious, creative, intelligent, capable gal. She can flat out get it done. And it says she is extremely, this kind of woman is extremely rare. Who can find a woman like this? You'll be hard-pressed. You'll need to search long and hard to find one. The idea is that there are such women, but not nearly enough. Her kind are rare. Certainly the kind of women who are most often paraded across our television screens and movie screens and computer screens do not fit the profile that we find here in Proverbs 31. This woman's multifaceted excellence leaves those shallow beauties in the dust. Such an excellent woman is hard to find, it says, both then and now. Now, in fairness, there's not a surplus of excellent men either. Proverbs 20, verse 6, many a man will proclaim his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. So excellent men are rare, equally rare as well. It says she is priceless. She's worth far more than rubies, more valuable than pearls. She's more precious than jewels. It's almost as if Lemuel's mom was looking him in the eye and saying, Lemuel, when you grow up, if you ever find a woman like that, grab her. (laughs) Grab her and hold on. Don't let her get away. That's the kind of woman. She is valuable, precious. I find it interesting that the rest of the description that's unfolded in this chapter makes no mention of her looks, her shape, her education, her income level, her position, her title. Those are not things that God deems valuable in a woman. What makes this woman so rare and so valuable is her character. Like the woman described in 1 Peter chapter 3, she is a woman of inner beauty, inner beauty. And it says this is the type of woman to pursue. Who can find an excellent woman like this, it says. That implies that you're looking. You're on a pursuit. If you're a young man and you're looking for a wife, look for a woman like this. If you are a woman, aspire to this. If you're married to a woman like this, be grateful, be appreciative. If you're a child or a friend of a woman like this, count yourself blessed. And then note, she is to be commended. She is praiseworthy. Verse 28, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also. And he praises her. And verse 29 is the content of his praise for his wife. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. You're it. You're the best. Charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised is the idea that God commends such a woman. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gate. So this woman stands out. Her husband, even after years of being married to her, declares her to be better than anybody else in his eyes. And her grown children sing her praises. I remember when I wrote the letter to my mother. She keeps it to this day. She treasures it. I was 19. I was in college. 
God was opening my eyes to lots of things, and in particular to how selfish and ungrateful I had been during my teenage years living at home. God was showing me the ugliness of my own sin. So I wrote my mom a letter thanking her for all the sacrifices that she had made for me through the years that I had been so unappreciative of. I thanked her for all the meals she had prepared for me and the innumerable loads of laundry that I had created and she had washed and dried and folded. And I thanked her especially for the prayers, the hundreds of prayers that she had offered up for me. I have this vivid picture in my mind that happened many, many times as a youngster when I would get up in the middle of the night, you know, at two or three or four in the morning to go use the restroom and I would stumble out of my room and start to make my way down the hallway and there in the living room the lamp would be on and there was my mom curled up on the couch, Afghan over her knees, Bible open, eyes closed, lips moving, praying. I can't tell you how many times that happened and I discovered later that she was praying for me. And I didn't know it at the time but I desperately needed her prayers. And so I thanked her in this letter. Mom, thank you for being an intercessor, a prayer warrior. Thank you for praying for your children. And I would say, humanly speaking, the the fact that I walk with Jesus today can be attributed in large part to a mom who persistently prayed for me. So I'm one of those who rose up and called my mom blessed through a letter that I wrote to her. The excellent wife and mom should be blessed by her family. Well, this woman in Proverbs 31 is held up as the ideal, as the kind of woman to aspire to become or to look for in a potential spouse. And in this passage, she's seen through several different lenses. Her character as a wife, her devotion as a homemaker, her generosity as a neighbor, her influence as a teacher of her children, her effectiveness as a mom, and her excellence as a saint, a God-fearing woman. But of of all the features that are described here, I'd like to pick out just four to kind of hone in on and focus on. Four traits or characteristics or attributes that set this gal out from the crowd and cause her to be excellent. Notice first, the praiseworthy woman is a trustworthy wife who has the complete confidence of her husband. Verse 11, the heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Now, in ancient times, things were a bit different back then. And even in the culture of Judaism, women were often treated not as God intended them to be treated, but were often treated as second-class citizens in that culture. Very often, husbands would build strong friendships with other men, but they would be neglectful of their wives and, in some cases, kind of really just view their wives as their servants, in some cases not even being intimate with them. They had concubines for that purpose. And so wives were often kept at a distance and treated more like servants. And as a result, there there wasn't always the trust and devotion. And so we read in some ancient documents that it was somewhat common for a husband, if he were to go away on a business trip, that he would actually lock up all his valuables at home to keep them safe because his wife might be tempted to take them and misuse them for her own purposes. 
But here we see that this woman's husband doesn't have to lock anything up because he trusts his wife implicitly. He is confident that she will not squander his earnings and the trust is well-founded because he's become convinced that she's going to do him good and not harm all the days of his life. So this man thinks like this, I can do what I need to do to, to earn a living, to provide income for my family. I can even go away for days at a time if that's what it takes because I completely trust my wife's character and competence and capabilities to manage everything well while I'm gone. I know she would never breach my trust or take advantage of my absence. Earlier in Proverbs, it says that this kind of woman is the crown of her husband because he has unshakable confidence in her. He's not suspicious. He's not worried. He's not jealous because she is absolutely trustworthy and she has proven it time and time again. That's a great foundation for a marriage, isn't it? I have a friend who years ago made a discovery about his wife that ended up hijacking the trust between them so deeply that their marriage was not able to recover. What he found out is that while he was away at work during the day, earning an income to support his family, his wife was at home carrying on with a neighbor fella that she invited over to the house. And this was going on day in, day out, week in and week out in his own home while he was working. That so sabotaged trust in that marriage that it was not able to recover. And I think it also destroyed something in him as well. Well, that's the polar opposite of how this Proverbs 31 woman makes her husband feel. She gives her husband no cause whatsoever to be suspicious of her activities, even when he's gone. His heart, his heart is calm and at rest and at peace because he trusts her deeply. He knows she will do him good and not harm. She doesn't turn his moments of vulnerability against him. She doesn't misuse the information that he shares with her in private. She doesn't hide things from him. He knows that next to God, she's the best thing that ever happened to him. And so this excellent woman is a trustworthy wife. But she's also an enterprising homemaker. I mean, this gal is amazing. Verse 13, she seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She's like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. Remember, no cars in that day. So we're talking about a lot of walking in order to to get food to bring home for her family. She rises while it's yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. So we find that this excellent wife is also a mother. She has a household. She has children. She has some young maidens, some young ladies who work and serve in the house. The praiseworthy woman, number two, is an enterprising homemaker who uses her creativity to bless her family and others. She's strong, industrious, energetic, disciplined. Caring for her family is a priority with her. She has her household organized. It's interesting where it says uh, she gives portions for her maidens. The original word is actually assignments or tasks. The idea is early in the morning, these young women come in and she says, okay, here's your task and here's your assignment and here's your task and organizes the work of the household for the day. She works hard to ensure that everybody is clothed and 
well fed in her home. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. This gal's got a head for business. With the fruit of her hand, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hand to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. Well, this is quite an enterprising lady, wouldn't you agree? This is not a a wallflower type. She's a seamstress who makes clothes for her family and for herself. Plus, she's got this little export business going on that she runs out of the home. Verse 24 tells us a little bit more about that. She makes linen garments and sells them, and she delivers sashes to the merchant. So she's there at home managing her household, raising her children, teaching them, and she's running a business. She makes and sells linen garments and sashes, and it's like a a fabric belt or like a cummerbund sort of a thing, and she would sell them to the merchant traders who would come through town, and, of course, they would then fan out throughout that whole Mediterranean region and resell them. With the proceeds from those sales, she then buys a plot of land and plants a vineyard, and that turns a profit. This is an incredibly multi-talented, multitasking lady with a keen eye for business. But notice, she's not trying to build an empire or stockpile her money for herself. She's unselfish and generous with her resources. Verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. So she's not self-absorbed. Her life is not focused totally on herself or even on her family, but Her vision is peripheral and she sees what her neighbors and friends are going through and she reaches out her hands to help. She's an amazing woman. Now, by the time you're reading this description and you get down to this point, you could be thinking, you know, this woman has got to look just awful. I mean, you know, she must be haggard and she gets up before dawn, it says, and she burns the midnight oil late into the night. She's always tramping all over town, buying stuff and bringing it back home. And when she does get home, she's working with her spindle and she's out planting stuff in her vineyard. She's probably got big, hairy arms and dirty hands and her hair's wrecked probably. And when does she ever pay any attention to herself? You think, you know, her husband probably comes home and says, well, honey, you know, this is all great. All this stuff you got going on and everything, but could, could you... Could you do something about the way you look? (laughs) Well, not so with this woman. Interesting. Verse 22, she makes bed coverings for herself and her clothing is fine linen and purple. This woman actually does pay attention to herself, not in a doting, vain sort of a way, but she appreciates the beauty that God has given her and the fact that her husband enjoys that beauty. And so she's very careful about her appearance. She makes sure that her clothing is not just linen, but fine linen. And it's not any color. It's purple, which symbolized elegance in that culture. This woman knows how to take care of herself in a way that expresses her beauty and her loveliness to her husband. So all that stuff she was doing, raising her kids and teaching them and managing a household and running a business and giving stuff away... And she still makes time to keep herself attractive to her husband. 
No wonder verse 23 says, her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. You know, his buddies are sitting around with him and they're a little bit envious and saying, man, you, buddy, you got a great wife. You married up, man. Awesome. But now look at this. This little phrase is very intriguing to me in verse 25. Strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. This woman is not anxious about the future. This is unbelievable. With all that she has going on, she's not covered over with worry and anxiety about how all of her enterprises are going. So she laughs at the time to come. There's a settled peace in her heart about the future, even a joyful anticipation. This woman is anchored to something internally that gives her a certain focus and outlook with regard to the future. She's not wringing her hands all the time, playing out all the worst case scenarios in her mind of what could go wrong with her kids, what could go wrong with her home or her husband or her marriage or her business. She laughs at the future. Amazing. She is strong of heart, anchored, trusting in the one whom she regards most highly. And that leads us to the the final picture that I want to mention here. The verse we've read a couple times. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The praiseworthy woman is a godly lady, a godly lady who fears God supremely. There it is. The secret of this woman's amazing strength, virtue, and character. Here's the core the fountain out of which her faithfulness and excellence flow. It's what anchors her heart and enables her to be calm about the future. It's what makes her praiseworthy. She fears God supremely. Now you look at that and you you say, well, that sounds odd. Fearing God? Shouldn't it say like loving God or trusting God or hoping in God? You know, for us, fear is usually associated with something negative, with negativity in our minds. But in the book of Proverbs, fearing God is said to be the beginning of wisdom. Fearing God is a hard attitude towards God that regards him as the supreme ruler and sovereign over all the universe, the highest authority, the one who made us, the one who commands our destiny, the one who loves righteousness and hates wickedness. A wise life starts there with that kind of reverence and respect and fear of God. By the way, did you know that several centuries later, Jesus Christ actually taught his followers to fear God? You can find it in Matthew 10, 28. These are his words. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Just a brief survey of Proverbs reveals the ways of those who fear God, like this virtuous woman in Proverbs 31. If we read through Proverbs, we find that those who fear God hate evil. You see, their hearts have been joined to God, and so they've learned to love what God loves and hate what God hates. Proverbs 3, 7 says, Be not wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. 
Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Those who fear the Lord refuse to envy sinners. Their fear of God leads them to not be jealous of how good evil people seem to have it in this life because they know that this life is not all there is, that God will judge the wicked one day. Proverbs 23, 17, let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Those who fear the Lord also walk in transparent uprightness. Proverbs 14.2, whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord, but he who is devious in his ways despises him, the Lord. They fear God because they understand that there are no hidden secrets from God, that God knows everything, God sees everything, God hears everything, and so they have decided to live in transparency and openness before the God who knows and sees everything. No deviousness, trickery. Those who fear God, it says, keep their hearts soft towards God. They know maybe from experience the folly of trying to resist God. Proverbs 28, 14, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Those who fear God stay humble. They stay humble before him. They know that the divine order of the universe places God himself on the throne and that God does whatever he pleases. 15.33 says, The fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom, and humility comes before honor. And those who fear God know the Holy One. Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You see, everything that this woman does, all of her activities flow from her character. And who she is in her heart is a God-fearing woman. And the reason she's a God-fearing woman is because she knows the Holy One. She knows God. Well, you know, Jesus, speaking to a crowd once, said this in John 5, 39. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. But these are the scriptures that testify about me, he said. So Jesus believed and taught that the Old Testament scriptures were primarily about him. And so I got to thinking about that this week. And, and as I close, I'd like to mention two ways that I think that this, this portrait of a praiseworthy woman points us to the person and work of Jesus Christ. First, Jesus is really the only true person of complete excellence. Wouldn't you agree? He's the truly excellent person. And I know some of you ladies, as we walk through this description of a virtuous, excellent woman, you're thinking, you know, I, I don't measure up. <laughs> and women in particular, I think, are just weighted down with this defeatism and guilt of, you know, I, I, I don't measure up. You, you preach a sermon on the Proverbs 31 woman and I'm sinking lower and lower and lower into my seat because I don't measure up. And I want to say this to you. You're right, you don't. And no woman does. And no man does. All of us fall far short. The bar is so high, we don't measure up. 
But Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came to live the life that we could never live. He is the supreme example of excellence. He fulfilled the law. He fulfilled this portrait of excellence and virtue in Proverbs 31. He is our supreme example of excellence, Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Talk about character. Talk about holiness. Talk about wisdom. Talk about generosity. Talk about diligence. You name the character trait and Jesus embodied them all perfectly. Jesus towers above everyone else in all of these areas. He is the ultimate supreme example of virtue and the only person of complete excellence. And second, because the standard is so impossibly high, because the bar is so high, we are utterly dependent upon the the work of Jesus Christ to ever have any hope of attaining it. If we ever hope to stand before God with any measure of acceptable righteousness, it will be because it was gifted to us, not because we tried so hard to earn it. Do you understand this? This is the core of Christianity, that we cannot, by our own efforts, attain to the standard that is required of us, not even the portrait of the Proverbs 31 woman. But we can, through faith in Jesus Christ, receive as a gift his perfect righteousness so that God looks at you as if you were his own son. And you have his record of excellence applied and credited to your account through your faith in his finished work on the cross. And when anyone repents of their sins and turns in faith to Jesus Christ, Jesus takes their record of sinfulness and applies to them his perfect record of righteousness And we then live not out of this sense of trying to do better and be better and and all of that, but we live out of our sense of new identity and right standing before God that has been gifted to us. You say, well, that seems like, you know, kind of an insignificant difference, but it's not. It's the difference between living a life of frustration or a life of hope. It's the difference between living a life of guilt or a life of peace. The difference between legalism and freedom, death and life is huge. It's huge. And so if you're weighted down with the burden of feeling like I don't measure up, I'm not good enough, my behavior doesn't match this, I'm nowhere near it, then welcome to the club. That's that's the group we're all in. And that's why we are utterly dependent upon Jesus Christ and his righteousness being applied to us. And we live out of that. And we trust the work of the Spirit in us to progressively over time sanctify us and change us and transform us into the image of Christ. But it will not be completed until we see him face to face one day. Well, I hope you can live that way. Well, moms, we rise up and bless you today. You have our prayers. We know that you're not perfect, and we don't hold you to that standard. But we do glory in the work of Jesus for you and on your behalf and in you. And we pray that your hope is anchored firmly in him and in him alone.
You know what else? We thank you today, moms, for every smelly diaper that you changed, for every scraped knee that you applied salve to and bandaged, for every mountainous load of laundry, never-ending load of laundry that you washed for us, for every meal you prepared, every prayer you whispered over us as we lay snuggled there in your arms. We thank you. We thank you. We rise up today and bless you. Eternity alone will record the ultimate impact of all your efforts and love and prayers. So keep your head held high. You say, well, how can I keep my head held high when I have a son or a daughter who is straying, who is wayward? I have a prodigal. And you say, you know, I'm I'm a mom, but I feel like a failure as a mom. It didn't work for me or didn't work for us. And I, I, if that's you today, I want to say to you what I've said to many parents over the years, and it's this. Do not make the mistake of taking a snapshot of your 12-year-old or 15-year-old or 17-year-old or 24-year-old or 35-year-old and say, well, that's the way he is. That's the way he's always going to be. He's never going to change. Or that's the way she is. She's never going to change because as long as there's a God in heaven and you have breath in your lungs to pray and seek his face, it can change. It can change. Don't give up hope. Don't let the evil one lie to you and accuse you and cause you to feel like an utter, complete, defeated failure because he would love nothing better than to just kind of demoralize you. And he's, he's called the evil one and the accuser for a reason. Don't stop praying. Keep persisting in prayer for your wayward son or daughter. And we'll rejoice with you when they come home to the Father's house. Yours is a high and holy calling. Your task is noble. May God pour his grace into your lives as you seek to fear him supremely in your heart. So would you bow your heads with me? And I'd like to just pray over all of our moms and all of us today beautiful doxology from the book of Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, both now and forever. Lord, I pray for our moms today. Lord, many of whom I think feel at times wearied and worn out, maybe giving up hope, distressed, feel like a failure. Lord, would you in your grace breathe fresh wind into their soul? Would you come alongside them through your spirit, the comforter and Put your arm around them and carry them through what might be a difficult season. Lord, would you help all of us to realize that in our own strength and efforts, we never measure up to these kinds of portraits. The bar is too high. But that your perfect, glorious son did. And amazingly, through your gospel, through repentance and faith, we can be credited with his perfect righteous and holy record of excellence and have that applied to us it's a glorious gospel 
And we praise you for it, Lord. It's our only hope. So encourage our moms today. May they feel blessed. Help them to know they're loved. In Christ's name, amen. If you will, may.